everyone, and welcome to episode 682 of Longbox Heroes, the Lamborghini of comic book podcasts. I'm Todd, along with Joe. How are we doing today, Joe? How are we doing, Todd? Still proudly the last podcast not recording on StreamYard. Do you want to record on StreamYard? Todd, do you want to learn StreamYard? How hard could it be? Okay. You... Learn yourself StreamYard, and then we'll reconvene next week, okay? Okay, let me ask you a question before we go any further. Is StreamYard better or something? Like, first of all, you've, you've, I don't think you've, you've always said you didn't mind using Skype. No. No, Uh, you've never said that? No, no, I have. So I'm with you. I like Skype, right? Right. Um, but... Um, I feel so. M- m- I think we're the last podcast using Skype on a regular basis, right? Right. For podcasting, most of the podcasting world has moved to StreamYard or recording through their Discord or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm okay staying on Skype until the wheels fall off. Okay, you know, because this is like I don't know. I just. I, the way you made it sounds like you kind of want to go through StreamYard. I don't know. So That's- I don't want to do anything. Mm-hmm. I want the podcast to exist in my mind and then just magically appear online. Right. But um, when I had Cardiff Electric on two weeks, um, he had given me a gentle ribbing that we were still using Skype and that we should move to StreamYard. Okay. And I had brought that up. Saying like, oh, you know, it would be difficult to, to, you know, transfer over with my co-host. And Adam took great offense that I was saying him. And I said, no, no, it'd be Todd. I go, I think Todd likes Skype because it's the thing that we've used for the last 12 years. And why start gumming up the works with something new when the thing that we've worked. And I always, you know, I always bring this number up. This episode 682 of this show. We've done 468 episodes of After Dark. I've done however many episodes of Longbox Heroes or of uh, uh, the wrestling show, Add Odds. Add Odds. Yeah, but like even just looking at the numbers that we did here, okay? 1,100 episodes of these two shows together. And outside of user error, how many times have we had a problem with Skype? Um, I, not many. I think there was a couple of times early on Skype would cut out occasionally. Right. And we would get bumped off. But otherwise, I don't think, you know, like you said, other than not pressing record, or I know you've said if you start recording with two people and you add a person, it won't record the third person. Um, That's all I really know that we've ever done. But I'm open to like whatever's easiest for for you but i know what you're basically you know uh basically kind of hinting at is that it's not going to be easy for you because you're going to have to walk me through Streamyard, and that's where you're going to like go crazy so well no no i'm not going to go crazy i just feel as though why change what works for us okay yeah i have no problem with because it's like you know it's easy to get on i mean uh, am i or am i not here every week at nine o'clock ready to go sometimes even earlier Sometimes even early, occasionally late, but there's always usually like a text going, hey, you know, give me five minutes or, you know, I'm running late or I don't feel good. Give me a minute, you know, kind of a deal. So, but otherwise, you know, pretty rock solid with the Skype. 
All right. That's what I like to hear. So what do we got on the show today? Uh, we have a slender read of news this week. Uh, a Spider-Man's relationship status uh, in the news. Um, no Rob watch this week, so I'm genuinely sad. Um, conventions. What we read last week, which was Marvel Unleashed number three and Alan Scott Green Lantern number one. What we're looking forward to this week, and I'm going to tell you where to put your comics that you were griping about in the post this week. All right, cool. Um, uh, Todd and Joe have issues where we're rereading all of Neil Gaiman, Sandman, and all the side stuff. And this week is Death, the Time of Your Life, number three, finishing up that miniseries, and various uh, short stories from uh, One Shots. Um, and finally, at the end, uh, spoiler-filled talk of the latest episode of Loki, which I have watched, Joe. Awesome. We're always a week behind because the new episodes come out on, like, Thursdays? Right. It's not as bad as when Ahsoka would come out while we were recording. Yes. Where we'd be a full week behind, so. Exactly. Uh, So, again, it was light news. We're off New York Comic Con. All the big news came out of the last two weeks. Um, Will there be a glut of news over the next three to four months? Probably not. But we will do our best to bring it to you when we find it. Um, so this week it was a big deal that uh, Spider-Man's marriage is back. Ooh. And so many, many years ago, I say many, many years ago, we talked on After Dark about 13 years ago, well, 16 years ago, um, in one of the more maligned Spider-Man stories, J. Michael Straczynski erased Spider-Man's marriage uh, erased a bunch of things, made a deal with Mephisto. Uh, that brought us Brand New Day. That brought us everyone forgetting Spider-Man's origin, kind of to try to do a reboot without doing a full reboot. Um, and this has always been something that DC would avoid with Batman, not so much with Superman, but with Batman is, for some reason, people have it in their head that if Spider-Man is married or Batman is married, kids can't relate to him? I would differ on Batman. Okay. Batman is Batman can never get married because his first love is Gotham. I thought you were going to say the C. Uh, no, no. Um, and it's not Catwoman. That's Slam Bradley's true love. Right. But, uh, yeah, that way I would go. But with Spider-Man, I don't agree with it, but I believe the the powers that be at Marvel do believe that Spider-Man married is not relatable, apparently. Don't get mm. it, but... Now, again, I'm a married person. I don't... I liked Spider-Man when I was a kid, and he was married. Mm-hmm. You know, and Spider-Man hasn't been married in the comics for 16 years, and I've been married for 16 years, and I still like Spider-Man, Right. Right. Um, so they're making a big deal that there's going to be a new Jonathan Hickman book and they're touting it as though it's going to be the return of Peter and Mary Jane back as a couple, but it's ultimate Spider-Man. I don't think it's really mainline Spider-Man, right? No, that doesn't. That's not 616 as the kids say. Yeah. So this is not the first time that they've done a story where Peter and Mary Jane are married in like some sort of non 616 book. Mm -hmm. I'd probably say this is like the fourth or fifth time they've done it in the last 16 years. (laughs) What was the one in the future 
the with the daughter was Spider Man. That Spider-Man. was MV MC M two M two where there was a Juggernaut store, jug, uh, Juggernaut Junior book and stuff like that. But yeah, they kind of do like the alternate timeline married. Peter and stuff like that. But really the only one anybody cares about is the 616 proper, except for the ultimate years, you know, that, that people did like that Peter, you know what I mean? But right. And, and a lot of that was because when ultimates was coming out, the mainline Marvel books were kind of stagnant and stale. Right. And And said the ultimate books were really, really good. Never read them, but yeah. Right. So what they did was they, you know, did all this stuff in the ultimate books with like big name creators. And then they moved those big name creators out of the mainline books and Todd, wouldn't you know it? Then the mainline books were good again. What funny how that happens, Joe. So I, I, I'm, so I guess a lot of it also comes from, I'm very much in the minority and I'm one of the few people. Okay. I'm one of the few people that have an online voice, no matter how big or small, that's currently enjoying the Zeb Wells Amazing Spider-Man run. Okay. Um, even though Amazing Spider-Man is still consistently the number one non-crossover, non-event, non-new number one book monthly at Marvel. That there's a there's a certain way of, that is a book in there, but you threw too many adjectives in there. So. But you get what I'm saying. Like if Kinda. they do a, yeah, if they do a new number one, that'll be number one for the month. And then Spider-Man comes back. If there's an event and it's company wide, that'll probably be the first issue. That'll be number one. And then a month later, Spider-Man, amazing Spider-Man's right back on top of the list. Right. For the most so, part, it's the way, Spider-Man's number one at Marvel. Batman's number one at DC. Yeah. So I see a majority of the online discourse is that Amazing Spider-Man is currently bad, and I guess it's just hundreds of thousands of people buying this book to hate-read it, I guess? I don't know. Maybe it's the same way that I buy Flash right now. I just buy it to keep my collection going. But do you read them? No, not that I right. read the first Spider one, and I'm like, I'm out on two. I'll keep buying it because I'm a fool, but... Right, so I can see that there's probably people that are buying Amazing Spider-Man so they can keep their continuous run going, you know? Mm-hmm. But I'm enjoying the book. They're they're doing a lot of different things. They're, um, it's one of the few times in um, Amazing Spider-Man, because Amazing Spider-Man is a street-level book, and a lot of the crime stuff happens in the streets of New York City. And I think of the Zeb Wells run, we're about to start our third crime, sin- like crime people, like your hammerheads and your owls and people like that, you know, the Rose, right. all those people getting involved in something. And there's like a big crossover of it all coming up. Um, and I'm only getting the amazing Spider-Man issues that are written by Zeb Wells. I'm not getting all the crossovers, you know? Um, yeah. But we're like on the third one of his run, which is he's only been on the book for about three years, four years, maybe. Um, But I don't care about this book, the Ultimate Spider-Man book. I don't care if Peter and Mary Jane are married or whatever. Um, I want new stuff. I want Spider-Man to move forward and do different things. Um, they, They did a bit of a fake out. 
um, where it looked like they were getting back together in the mainline book. And that's what led to, you know, Mary Jane sacrificing herself and Kamala Khan not dying, but becoming a mutant instead of an inhuman. Um, right. right. And then they did like a bit of a fake out, like I said, with Peter and Mary Jane getting back together in Amazing Spider-Man. And then this book coming out, I think that's just stoking the hate uh, for this current run. But I don't know, you know, buy your book. I'm sure Jonathan Hickman's a good comic book writer, you know. Right. Um, Marco Cicchetto is a good artist. But um, I don't know, I'll keep reading Amazing Spider-Man and enjoying it. You Maybe this will be the Spider-Man book that you enjoy. Right. Though I, I, I only read the ultimate, like I read the ultimate book. And I enjoyed it back in the day. And then, you know, Ultimate stuff came out. And, you know, as I tried it, you know, my mileage would vary. I never really yeah. did the Spider-Man book. But I, 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 oh, you know, the FF one was one that I did uh, a lot of because that was Kirkman. And then I forget Warren Ellis. And I was like, okay, I like a lot of this. Um, but I managed to flip through the the Ultimate book that's coming out this week. The new Hickman got, stuff. Yeah. The new Hickman. And... I was like, God, these first couple of pages kind of grabbed me. So I didn't pick it up because obviously the street date, I wasn't able to. But uh, I was thinking about it, and I may go back and do it because there was some interesting stuff early on. But uh, we'll see. I want to see if they can you know, reignite the Ultimate Universe. So maybe they can, maybe they can't. Maybe it's Spider-Man and Mary Jane being married again. And then... Maybe that ends up selling better than Ultimates, or Ultimate ends up selling better than Amazing. Mm-hmm. And then they end up moving Hickman and Chichetto over to Amazing, and they bring <laughs> the the marriage back in Amazing. And it's just like a cycle, just like what happened with the original time that they ran through with the Ultimate Universe. Right. I just hope it's all for one more day, too. Yeah. That's all. Keep keep J. Michael Straczynski away from my Spider-Man books. But he's doing a really good job on Captain America, man. I like the first two issues. Yeah, I'm actually I'm actually wondering why I didn't add Captain America to the list because I'm stupid. But uh this week, but Captain America was really good. I just want to get that out there. Read Captain America. Yeah. Uh so that's really all we got on news this week. The Rob behaved himself, you know, <laughs> laying low as uh Halloween is coming up. That nickel um, finally, you know, wore off. Yeah, so, you know, got the had, money's worth. Had like a good like four week run. Mm-hmm. Uh, but He's, there are some oh. so, somebody scraping him on the carpet and letting him get ready to go again, Joe. Oh my goodness! It's a shag carpet, so you really got to shake it out, you know. Yep. Uh, but there's conventions this weekend. Uh, there's the Twin Cities Con in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Um, Jamal Eigel, Phil Hester are going to be there, and there's enough Kevin Smith adjacent people that are going to be at this convention that they're doing a Clerks reunion, a Mallrats reunion, and a My Name is Earl reunion. My Name is Earl is one of the greatest TV shows that has ever been on TV. Uh, definitely a show that punched way above its coverage. Fair enough. Um, I enjoyed it very much. I, I would equate it to the, I, I, and again, I would not want to say the stupid person because I'm not a smart person, but it's the slightly dumbed down arrested development. 
Uh, see, I, I think I would argue the dumbed-down version because that makes it sound Slightly. dumb. Right, I get what you're saying, but I think it was something different. So that's maybe the closest show you could kind of go, but it, I, I feel it wasn't Arrested Development. It was, it was something itself, but it was up there with it. Uh, and had Jamie Presley at close or if not dead center of uh, the height of her powers. <laughs> uh, I don't know what she's doing today, but she had a very good run, let's say. Yes, she did. She'd be in my top ten. Oh, okay. Go listen to Final Wrestling Place this week and uh, at odds later this week for more on that sort of thing. I might make a phone call this week. All right. Uh, but. The biggie this weekend is Rhode Island Comic Con in Providence, Rhode Island. Uh, tons of comic book folks here. Tons of media people. Too many to name them all, but I'm going to hit some of the high points for both. Um, comic book side, we got Christopher Priest, Craig Rousseau, Dennis Cowan, uh, Kevin Eastman, Ron Mars, Simon Bisley. Media guest side, uh, Again, listen to this row of heavy hitters, Todd, right? Okay. We got Marissa Tomei. Ooh. We got Christina Ricci. Hit me up. We got Famke Jansen. Oh, Zenya on the top? Great character. (laughs) So so we got those folks. Uh, We got the great Paul Williams. (gasps) Oh, my God. Both in Smokey and the Bandit and the Muppet movie? And as I was doing the research of stuff this week, he was also the voice of the Penguin in Batman the Animated Series. Yes, he was. Oh, Rest what a power, re- uh, Richard Mole. Yes, a face. renaissance man, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, the great Greg Nicotero, uh, sci- uh, a special effects artist and actor in his own right. Right. And then from the world of sports and entertainment, usually I hold back on these sort of things. But I wish you'd hold back even longer, but go ahead. But at the same convention, we have Supper Shredder himself, Kevin Nash, mm-hmm. and Orange Cassidy. Right, and nobody else good. Uh, hey, listen, hey, Dustin Rhodes is going to be there. Britt Baker is going to be there. Darby Allen's going to be there. Sure, right? And I said nobody else, but go ahead. <laughs> but OC and Kevin Nash... I am on the lookout for that Mark picture of the two of them together this weekend. Uh, Is that going to be your screensaver on your phone? It very well could be. Your wallpaper? It might might replace the photo of my family in my wallet. Well, you know, at certain times in a match, they put out the same amount of effort. Right. You know, I think OC stole the whole framing the photograph. Like, that's where that mindset came from. It's like, if I could just do that 17 times, I'll be in the money for the rest of my life. See, Orange Cassidy does it as a bit, but he works very hard to show no effort. Right. Where Kevin Nash shows no effort. And yeah. Needs it. Listen, you want him to leave his feet? You want a powerbomb? That's going to be 10 grand extra each, right? Right. Gotcha. So the links to those uh, will be in the show notes, of course, if you're in uh, either one of those areas uh, this weekend. Go check out those conventions, uh, along with information about the soon-to-be-named network at soon-to-be-named-network.com, soon-to-be-named-network.tumblr.com, 
anytime any of the shows go live, you could certainly find them at their own individual podcatchers, websites, RSS feeds, or whatever. But you want everything in one shot, soon to be named network.com. Uh, you could also find out information about some of our friends and the stuff that they're doing and up to in and around the internet. Uh, go check out friend of the show, West Coast retailer extraordinaire Mike Sterling's blog at progressiveruin.com. Uh, go check out our friend Kevin's blog at hellionsteam.com. Go check out Rick Williams' The Chop Shop at freekaratechops.storeenvy.com. Jason Sandberg's Jupiter is still available a la carte through his Indiegogo, which is linked up here, as well as Chris Runt's Battle Monsters. Uh, which is at his website, fortressofcomicnews.com. Uh, you can go check out our good friend Davey of the band Cave People. Uh, he has two self-published comic books out currently, Mending and Keeper, that you could purchase directly from him at cavedomaincomics.com. And if you do not have a comic book store in your area or you do not have a good comic book store in your area, let our comic store be your comic store, Comics on the Green. I've got the Facebook page linked up here for Dave and the crew. Anytime the books come in, because they come in on Tuesdays and Wednesdays, again, it's the perfect store, but it's a five Tuesday month rolling into a five Wednesday month. Oh, we'll get into it. Mm -hmm. uh, but they'll let you know when the books are in they'll let you know when uh, new pre-orders are ready and final order cutoff dates for those new pre-orders and uh, anytime Dave gets a collection of uh, rare 9.8 Silver Age books dropped off at his door he'll do a photo shoot with all of them Yep, yep. and you can sign up for the mail order subscription service get your books mailed to you weekly, bi-weekly or monthly and if you do there's a chance that you can get a sketch on the package from our good friend Becky, you can go follow her process, her commissions, her prints, and her everything over at her social media, which is all linked up in the show notes. Now, unfortunately, Becky and I crossed paths this past week. I did not get a chance to talk to her. I was there early. She was there late. But we're going to have a meeting this week. I have time scheduled out in our busy schedules uh, to figure out when uh, that new segment is going to be coming up on the show. That's right. You got to figure out the best way to do it. So that's right. Whatever works for her. Did we say what it was? Um. Yes, it was. It was basically uh, her giving her like uh, just a rundown or review, kind of like the mutant minute, but with uh, the old Superman's uh, girlfriend Lois Lane issues. We did say that. Yeah. Okay. And you know, and obviously we'll we'll talk with her, but like, let's not limit it to the Lois Lanes, but let's. You know, focus on the lowest lanes, you know? Right. Well, I thought uh, basically, too, it could be the lowest lanes for a while. And then if she, well, like, if that goes, you know, when, when she's done with that, whatever she wants to do, then she could just do romance comics. Yeah. She did say she did like the name uh, uh, walking down instead of memory lane, lowest lane. Like, there was a whole play on words that she liked with that. So whatever she wants to do, you know, it's fine. So we'll figure right. it out. It's 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 going to be her segment. We're going to give her the airtime to do whatever she wants with it, right? Right. As long as it's good, don't mess it up. Right. So let's get into what we read from this past week. Where would you like to begin? I'd like to start with the book I was looking forward to most, which was Alan Scott, The Green Lantern, written by Tim Sheridan and art by Cyan Torme. Um, so this obviously is about Alan Scott, the golden age green lantern kind of told in two times. One is like 1941 and then one is like, I don't think they established exactly, but it's years before 
when uh, he's in kind of an engineer, and I don't think he's Green Lantern yet. Um, and he's in kind of like uh, the engineer corps in the in the army. Um, but it kind of starts out with you know the, as Green Lantern talking with J. Edgar Hoover, who's like, yeah, you know, I like when you're in the news, but where's the rest of your guys, the JSA? I want them all in the news when you do. And he's like, well, I, you know, I don't jump through hoops kind of the deal. And then being the dirtbag that Hoover could be, I hope he doesn't hear this. Um, he, uh, he kind of implies that he's going to blackmail Alan Scott. Um, and we kind of find out what it is through the story that he has, you know, his, his lover, Johnny. And at this time, you know, that's frowned upon. And then we get that Johnny and him are both in the engineer court going to uh, try and capture this all powerful thing that they kind of found, which was called the Crimson Flame. Um, and like how they're going to trap it and use it for a, a, an energy source for weapons because World War II is, you know, on the horizon kind of a deal. Um, and, uh, I won't get into too much because they kind of, kind of like, you know, it traps it and it ends up releasing something. And that's kind of the battle uh, back then that's going to play into what's going on now. But I found the most interesting part of the book, the actual relationship between Alan and John was like just very natural. Like just I, I, I was intrigued by it. And there's a bit with Johnny and a ring, this golden ring that he that's going back and forth between the two of them. And he ends up giving it to him. Um, and for a book about a Green Lantern who, you know, wears rings, it could be very ham-fisted, but it's very nonchalant. It keeps showing up throughout, like, the past and now in the present, and Johnny's not around, and he, he'll, like, put the, the ring on and take it off. And it's very – the way it's designed, it's just eye-catching, so you always notice it, if that makes any sense. kind of reminds me of a Sinestro ring, which is interesting. But uh, all around, uh, I kind of like it. And then the way the the the, the – Crimson Flame works its way into the present, but then things might not be what they seem when we get to the end with Alan Scott. Uh, I want to see where that goes, but it's interesting because he's from Gotham, how all that works in there. But uh, I had a lot of fun. I thought this book looked beautiful. I like the, 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 the coloring and we get uh, a mention of the JSA. Um, I've really liked all these uh, JSA books, the Sandman, the Green Lantern and the Flash. So like I said, this one's no exception. Of the three new JSA uh, solo books, I've liked them all, but I think I like this one the most. Um, I really like the art and everything in the way that the Sandman one was laid out. I thought there was a lot of interesting thing that was done with panel layout and just the way that the book looked. Um, Flash, of course, I'm not the same Flash guy that you are, but obviously a little bit much more straightforward, a little bit very clearly involved in like family but I probably know the least about these three characters that I do about Alan Scott. So all of this stuff was either brand new stuff that was created for whole cloth or stuff that has been mentioned over the 80 plus years that this character has existed. And they're just extrapolating on it. Right. Right. So I'm coming into this. It's like, Oh, I'm learning all this new information about this character. And obviously everything that you mentioned about the relationship that this book is kind of, um, predicated upon with Alan and Johnny is such like a big point of this. Um, and I'll just throw this out here real quick so we can mention it and move on. I was not expecting that last page. No, but like I said, it's interesting because he comes from Gotham. You know what I mean? Yep. That's a hell of a cliffhanger. 
And I do want to say that the year that the uh, that he's in the engineering corps is 1936 because they do say it. And Alan Scott and Johnny, I think, invent the selfie. That's all I'm going to say. You know? <laughs> um, now, that being said, a couple things I just want to point out. Of course, they're looking for this thing, whatever the crimson flame is. Right. Did we not get in Jeff Johns JSA a tease of a golden age Red Lantern? Yes, like the who's who with redacted stuff, I think. Yes. So I'm thinking that's where this is going to play in. Um, and I just want to add one more thing, just the fact with the art, because the Alan Scott Green Lantern costume is top tier, one of the greatest costumes of all time. There's so no mistake in it. To see it in this, in all its glory, and it kind of has that soft kind of look, like with the coloring and stuff. I love it. And have him and Jay team up is so cool. Um, it gives me like, uh, you know how we discussed maybe like Jeff Johns should have kind of like walked away from JSA stuff and maybe, you know, we didn't know what was going to happen, but I do think the JSA stuff is in really good hands right now. Yeah. Other than Jeff Johns. So uh, a couple newer, younger, different voices on these characters. Mm-hmm. And then hopefully whenever the Jeff Johns run at JSA is done, whatever, you know, however they're going to come to this point, maybe it's even going to be like another writer that comes in and kind of brings all these three um, books together. But we'll see. I'm interested to see where it's going to go. And I also just want to throw out one last thing there. So, you know, a bulk of the story, as you mentioned, takes place in the late 30s, early 40s, leading into World War One or World War Two, rather. Um there's a bit where they're talking about something specific with the crimson flame Mm -hmm. and they footnote the 2023 DC pride book. Right now the DC pride books and a lot of those books like that, you know, whether it be like uh, something as fluff as the Nort swimsuit issue, or I don't know if you saw solicited in the DC solicits for January, they're doing a guy Gardner romance book. I may be picking that up, Joe. Okay. So the fact that in one of the DC Pride books, they actually threw a little bit of lore into that book that is going to tie into this storyline, I think is ingenious from both a marketing standpoint in regards to like, oh man, if they're going to throw lore stuff in there or important continuity bits or launching of story arcs, I might need to get these books that, like, otherwise I might not get because it's like, oh, it's just a jam issue, right? Right, anthologies kind of Anthology deal. issues, right? And those books, you know, the they usually put, you know, LBGTQ creators on those books. Obviously, the better that those books sell, the more those books happen, the more those creators get work, the more money those creators get. So if they could work into mainline books stuff to boost up the sales of the anthology books again when did comics become a business well i like when comics being a business you know kind of helps out folks that you know for many many years in the comics industry have been marginalized you know Mm -hmm. yep um but that's really cool definitely check out these jsa books if you've been cold on jeff john's jsa stuff um and i get it if you have you know todd and i are old white men so we love it but we also love this stuff too yep you could love both we can we can you just can't love married and non-married peter parker you have to pick one or the other 
That's right. Choose a side. The Civil War is coming for that, Joe. <laughs> uh, so the other book that we both read from this past week was Marvel Unleashed number three, uh, written by Kyle Starks with art by Juan Gideon. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the continuing adventures of the unnamed, but they are the pet Avengers. They got trapped to the 10th level of hell by Blackheart. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to get back home. But to get back home, they have to wake up Lockjaw. Lockjaw, who is the linchpin of teleportation, so that Blackheart can bring his army to Earth and take over Earth. And sadly, the poor AIM scientist, all he wanted to do was make teleportation a viable means of public transportation. And Mm -hmm. now he's involved in all of this. Right. Such a unique, fun, interesting concept. And I've never read before where a character says, like, we should take this particular science fiction-y, superhero-y type thing and try to make it available for everyone for free right? for the betterment of society. Um, I'm sure it's happened before. I'm sure there was like definitely a Tony Stark book where he's like, oh, suits of Iron Man for everyone. And then everyone could fly and, re- and not really thinking out the idea. And it always works this way where the person has this good idea. And he's like, I know AIM has a bad reputation, but I think they can help me get my idea off the ground. AIM wasn't helpful. How about Mephisto's son? Right. Um, Though I think he kind of accidentally wandered into Mephisto's son. But I do like the fact that the – because this all started with uh, his dog, uh, his pet, trying to get him home because he was missing. And in the end, he's not this terrible person. You know what I mean? Like, because going into the story, he's, you know, wrapped into all this. And you're like, oh, he's a name guy. He's terrible, but he's got to take care of this dog. And now it's like, oh, okay, I see the motivations and everything, and I like it. But uh, my biggest – Part of this uh, that I, I love because, you know, I'm a, I'm a, a puppy guy and a dog guy um, is the bit where they have their like moments of doubt, like their nightmares and and it kind of like why uh, D-Dog was unaffected because uh, he may be living uh, an animal's nightmare. Oh. And I'm like, this is so like, oh, my God, I, I want to just pick up all the puppies and hug them, Joe. All of them everywhere. So, uh, yeah, I, 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 I'm really enjoying this book. Yeah, and again, I, I was going to – I would be remiss if I did not mention that. And again, the teleportation stuff is affecting the pet Avengers. Um, you know, Throg loses his hammer, and he still – he has to go to fisticuffs or whatever it is. And it gets to a point where Flurkin has to step in and, like, really – showcase her powers and i love that every time flurkin uses her powers red wing is conveniently distracted and misses it right right uh which is a good bit um they do attempt to play while they're on the 10th level of hell um attempt to play onto the uh weaknesses of the pets that their masters their humans are in danger and we get that back and forth with uh, I forget the the ghost dog's name, Ghost Mutt, right? Uh, I've... and Throg, uh, Bats is the dog's name, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they're lamenting. They're like, oh well, uh, you know, our our humans were okay, but that's you know kind of what triggered us, you know. 
Right. And uh, Throg says, tell me, wise bats. All of us were affected by that nightmare wizard except D-Dog. Why do you believe that to be? To which Bats replies, because she's a stray. She has no pack. She has no person. The poor deer is living a dog's worst fear every day already. And I know you touched on it, Todd, but I would I wanted to read that that passage, that moment from this book, because I tell you, you want if you are an animal person, I cannot imagine you reading that part and not just being destroyed. I'm glad when I had to go into the comic shop today, I pet Max. Mm. I'm going to do it again next week. And, you know, obviously there was the bit, I think, in issue one where D-Dog laments that she's going to prove that she's the best pet ever. And then we get this moment where we find out that she has no human. And this book could, as far as I'm concerned, this book could only end one of two ways. Uh Uh-oh. One is really good for D-Dog, and one is really bad for D-Dog. Joe, you know which one I'm rooting for. I know what you're rooting for. Um, And one, if I have a complaint about the book, it is not a huge complaint. But there was a different artist on this issue than the previous two issues. Right. I don't want to say that this artist was bad, but this artist was different enough than the one who was on issues one and two and who will be on issue four that it's noticeable. Yeah, and I really enjoyed the art for the first two. So you kind of get it in your mind for all four issues, you know what I mean? Yeah. So when it pops up, you're like, oh, okay, it's like getting, you know, the wrong figure in the mail. It just doesn't work. Uh, There you go. Right. That's a perfect analogy. And I'll say this, uh, Juan Gideon, not a bad artist. Works very well for for the story. But I think if Gideon was the artist for all four issues, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Um, Let's, I think it's because the styles are different. The styles are different. I, I feel as almost though like Gideon's art should be not digitally colored and on newsprint. Does that make sense? It could be, yeah. I could yeah, it just saying. it feels like a little bit more like 80s and early 90s-ish. Not in mm-hmm. a bad way, just different than a more modern art style, which we saw in the other issues of this. And uh, I'm always thought back to when there were delays on Civil War. Right. And Steve McNiven couldn't get the issues out on time because he had a sore throat. Yes. And Joe Casada said, it's important that this book has the same artist for all seven issues because people will be having this book on its shelf for years and years to come, not right. unlike Watchmen. Right. To which I say, I think 10, 20... 30 years from now, I'll have these four issues in my collection. I don't have no issues of Civil War in my collection. What? What about Civil War 2, where it was so good they had to, add, they had to get a better ending no. and add more issues? No. Oh, that's I remember sh- that. I remember right. that. That's what we neglect. Where Bendis, like, issue one comes out and it's supposed to be a seven-issue miniseries. Mm-hmm. And then he puts up on his blog and he's like, oh, I'm rewriting the whole thing because we solicited it for months and the first issue's out, but I'm changing it and we're adding two extra issues. And I'm like, oh, my, come on. Better that, ending. I picked up issue one. And then when I saw that, I'm like, I'm out. I'm done. <laughs> right. Better ending. But anyway. Oh, better ending. Anyway. 
Uh, so that's what we read this past week. Let's get into what we're looking forward to coming out this week. If you head over to longboxheroes.com uh, every Tuesday around noon Eastern time, it came out a minute early this week, uh, we put up the pull post, which is a link to a link to all the books that are coming out this week. Whether you get your books in print, whether you get them digitally, whether you get them sent to your home, however it is, you get your books before worn, before armed, know what's coming out this week. Todd and I attempt to guess what the other is most looking forward to coming out this week. And we are currently knotted up with 30 correct guesses each. Wow, it's almost like all the other guesses didn't count, Joe. It's almost like the previous 10 months were for nothing. Right. Um, since I started, I go first. Is the book you're looking forward to most Traveling to Mars number nine? It is not. Oh, what is it? So the book I'm most looking forward to coming out this week is the Batman Catwoman. Uh, what's the official title? I hate all the titles of these things. The it's Gotham Batman War- Catwoman, The Gotham War, Scorched Earth, number one, Bells and Whistles edition. But go ahead. Oversized, extra block print, everything else like that. Treasury edition. Um, the la- the So I'm because there hasn't been a ton of crossover stuff with it. Right. I have been getting, like, I got the issues of Catwoman, and I got the little two-parter with uh, Jason Todd, because they're trying to make Jason Todd, like, very important again. And I, you know, give them all the credit in the world for it. Right. But um, in the Chip Zdarsky-written stuff, um, I'm really worried what's going to happen with Batman. Well, he's going to be fine. I'm concerned. Fine. Um... We, we talked before about Spider-Man, how Spider-Man's fine. You know, no matter what happens to Spider-Man, at the end of the day, you got to have Spider-Man in your mainline books, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, I don't know, they... Batman's been taking a drubbing for a while now. I'm not going to say that it's been Chip Zdarsky doing this to him. I think Chip is trying to see how far he could push it in a Batman book. Pushing it pretty far. Yeah, I think he's pushing it pretty far. And I'm concerned that things are going to get... I'm concerned things are going to get much worse before they get where they are now, which still isn't very good for Batman. I think he's going to be fine. a compelling story. Yeah. I think he's going to be fine, but... Yeah. Anyone who can make multiple stories about the Enza or Batman compelling and interesting... You got to give him credit. Yeah. Um, yeah. Though I will say, I, like, I give everybody credit. A lot of people have taken what Grant Morrison has has fumbled and picked it up and ran it into the goal line. Because I'll say, I was never a Damien guy until other people wrote him. So I, I, I you're the only person that, that that nobody can do well is Professor Pig. That character is irredeemable. Say. What? I was going to say, what's your favorite non-Morrison Professor Pig story? <laughs> Trying to beat me to it, huh? Well, it was either that or the Flamingo. Um, I, I like Flamingos, but I don't, you know, but I know Professor Pig is unreadable. <laughs> unreadable. So I think the book you're most looking forward to coming out this week is uh, Traveling to Mars number nine. Sure, since now I'm best friends with the artist. <laughs> Well, we'll talk off air. Okay. Um, so, yeah. So, while you're over at, uh, you know, uh, at Longbox Heroes, 
Uh, be sure to check out all the other stuff that Todd and I have been up to, whether it be past episodes of this show, past episodes of Longbox Heroes After Dark, and of course, the current ongoing Todd and Joe Have Issues, where we are almost nearing the end of every Neil Gaiman written thing in regards to Sandman. Right. And this I did the pull post on, of course, uh, or the um, the Todd and Joe Have Issues post about but I have to lament and say I do apologize just the way that everything kind of worked out was in all these little short stories that came out, mm-hmm. most of them were not collected anywhere other than the yeah. initial issues that they came out in. Right. The only place that they're definitely collected in is the uh, absolutes, aren't they? No. They're so, not? Okay. Winter's Edge 1 is in absolute 2. Winter's Edge 3 is an absolute 3. I think Winter's Edge 2... Um, Winter, okay, the, so Winter's Edge 2 is in the Death uh, Omnibus. Right. But Last Sandman Story is in Dust Covers. It does not appear anywhere else. Okay. And the, uh, the, the 9-11 story only appears there. It's not reprinted anywhere else. Okay, it's not... I, I, I actually... Th- I'm shocked that it wasn't put in the recent printing of the uh, Death Absolute. Um, According to what I was able to look to see the difference in the printings, it wasn't listed. Okay. But, uh, interesting. Uh, but yeah, they're not everywhere, so... Right. That being said, we got the last issue of Time of Your Life. And we got all these one-shotters. So I'm going to turn things over to Todd, and I'm yep. going to say, yeah, a bunch. And I will say before we go further, in about three weeks, I think they are going to be all printed in one area. Yes. And I found the very first uh, San Diego Con exclusive uh, helm set on eBay this week. It popped up. Oh, really? Yeah, they're only asking two 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 G's, Joe. They're only asking two G's. Oh, that's it. I'm following it. <laughs> I'm following it. So we'll see. No, um, make if offer. anybody wants to chip in and get it for me, uh, I'll gladly accept it. So, but now on to death time of your life uh, number three, uh, written by Neil Gaiman, obviously, and art by Chris Bacallo. Um, Foxglove, Vito, and Boris, you know, are all ready to do some, well, Foxglove's ready to do some magic with them. Um, And she's saying, like, I've kind of done this before, but never worked on a grand scale. And she's ending up trying to recreate kind of the blood magic that they use with Thessaly in A Game of You. And she's just telling them, like, just, like, concentrate on the stuff, you know, and that Hazel is is an Alvy, like, and maybe this will work. So we cut to uh, Hazel and Death talking, and she is talking to him, and she basically says, like, I told her after it happened. And uh, and Death was kind of like, and she believed it. And he's like, yeah, I kind of, you know, it was kind of wonky what people believe. Um, but she ended up, she, she, she's talking about, like, how she would always kind of check on Alfie at night. And her worst fear was that Alfie would be, you know, would be dead. And one night she came in and Alvy wasn't breathing. So like I ran out, you know, you know, I don't even remember running out into the rain. Um, but you were there and how come like I could, 
you know, see you and hear you, you're deaf. Like, what is it because you look like that girl from, you know, the high cost of living? She's like, yeah, that's, that's kind of right. And, uh, so they cut back to like the first issue we see Hazel in the rain. Now we see that it's, you know, her outside with Alvy and depths out there with an umbrella. Um, and she's basically begging for her to give back Alvy. And she's like, you know, you can make a deal. And she's like, I don't do deals. And she's like, but you could if you want to. And she's like, yeah, I could, I could. And, you know, they kind of leave it at that for there. And then back to Foxglove. And she's like, I don't know why it's not working. I can't think. And then she's like, oh, and she remembers something. And she remembers the onk from death. And she ends up drawing that. And that's the the push that they need to take her into the kind of the border of the sunless lands, if you will. Um, and not to, the- not to nitpick or critique Neil Gaiman, arguably one of the best comic book writers in the world. Yes, but Foxglove, the entire miniseries here, is wearing that pendant that kind of, sort of looks like an onk. Right. I wish they would have done something with that, as opposed to her just drawing an onk. Does that make sense? Like, that could have been the connection, maybe? Or, like, she's like, oh, this thing. Uh, like, it's like, oh, I need an onk. Like, she says, I need an onk. And one of the other people that are there in the room is like, well, isn't that what you're wearing around your neck? And she goes, no, but an onk looks like this. And then she's like, well, let me see if I can. And like, it's like, you know, metal that she can malleable or she gives to Boris. And he kind of bends it and twists it away so that it now more resembles an onk. Right. And then that's how they get there, just to kind of maybe get them involved with what they were doing. And again, a nitpick, not a huge thing, but it was like, she's wearing this thing that looks like an onk the entire story, and it never comes into play. Right. Uh, it doesn't bother me. I kind of like that it doesn't, because sometimes it's just, it's a cool visual, but uh, I, you know, and maybe, you know, throwing you off guard, but whatever. Um uh, so they're in there and they're like, they get, they figured out it worked and they end up running into the ghost of Larry, uh, her manager. And he's mad because she didn't listen to Hazel. Like he told them. Um, and, uh, but she's like, okay, you're here now. And we have some transport that she left. And it's funny cause she left the umbrella. Um, and, uh, Boris is like, it's, I'm sorry to see you go, Larry, but I'm still looking after Foxglove. And then they're like, this ghost is like with Larry. And he leaves and there's like, who was that? And there was like, that was the daughter that he mentioned earlier um, that she died of uh, pancreatic cancer years ago. So I do like that Larry and, you know, his, his daughter are reunited, I guess, even though it's very vague, as all deaths should be in Sandman. Um, so they end up, you know, traveling in the uh, umbrella upside down on the river of blood. And this is where we find out that Boris isn't his actual name, but he doesn't like say what it is. And then Foxglove ends up giving, uh, cause she was Donna, I believe beforehand. And she says like, when my girlfriend died, um, I wanted to kind of, you know, be different. And this is how she ends up getting the name from the flower. Um, and you know, uh, she ended up just saying like, with a last name, it sounded stupid. So I just made it Foxglove. So kind of interesting, a little over my head on the, like the, the flower stuff and all that. I'm not a flower guy, but this was one of my favorite side stories of people Mm -hmm. giving like their origin in this series. Right. I really like this one a lot. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Um, so uh, we cut back to Hazel and Death, and Death is like, she's coming. And he's like, oh, really? Um, and he's like, oh, uh, that's good. I knew she would. It's like, And so now she's kind of probing Death about, like, were you the person from the time of your life? And she's like, kind of. And she's like, I had an awful crush on you, kind of a deal. Um, and she's like, am, am, am I dead? No, not yet. And she's like, so she asks him like all the questions that they kind of, uh, 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 ask everybody asks. And she, she kind of like, you know, asks with the vague answers with the vague stuff. And I do like some of the questions that she's like, Oh, those questions are hard to answer. It's like answering when is purple and why does Thursday, which are two great, great quotes, Joe, two great quotes, very delirium questions. Yes. Um, and in the end, she basically says, uh, you know, uh, in the end, you have to have the bad times to make the good times matter. You know, that's the, the long and short of it. Um, and then uh, Hazel's like, I kind of understand. And she ends up telling this story of, and the only thing I can imagine playing over this is uh, uh, who did, uh, I can't think of the song, but it's called Perfect Day, where uh death and hazel are talking and it's like i had this day with foxglove and i'm not gonna go over everything it's like we went out we had ice cream we were sitting on the roof and we heard like steel drums and uh it was it was the the perfect day and i remember it and, and, and that was our day and she ends up saying look i told foxglove about it all the stuff and she didn't remember um any of it and like that kind of, you know, made me sad. But then I realized I would had to be the one to like keep this alive. And it made me think of like, I've had that in my, my life. As we talk about like how Neil Gaiman, no matter what's happening, you're in the realm of death, these endless, all these like interesting ideas and the conversations are very grounded. I don't know how many times I've conveyed a story to someone. I was like, and remember when this happened, it was like the greatest, and they're like, I have no idea what you're talking about, can be one of the most deflating things ever. Something you thought was special, but the other person can't even have an inkling of, this is one of my favorite uh, little bits in the book. Um, and she ends up saying to death, like, well, she's almost here now, I, uh, I can kind of feel it. She's can I tell you something? Of course. She's like, promise you won't tell anyone? And this line I like, I promise, hell, I'm good at keeping secrets. I'm famous for it because she's heard a lot of secrets that, you know, she's never going to tell anybody because they told them at death at, you know, while they were dying. She says, I love you. And she's like, I love you too, but you love everybody. I know that whole bit, as I've said a million times on this show, Neil writing a character that he wanted everybody to love and everybody does in real life is one of uh, the most amazing things. Um, so they all kind of, you know, show up, uh, uh, Vito, uh, Boris, and uh, Foxglove, and they end up talking about, like, what's going on. And she says, well, remember... I told you all about this earlier in the book. She says, I try to tell her and she says everything that happened, you know, and, uh, Foxcove blows it off as like, you know, a wild kind of fantasy, but it's a, it's a deal that when it's over, they kind of have to, you know, they'll get some time, but in the end, one of them has to stay with death. And you're know, like, that's the deal that they struck. And like, 
Foxglove is like, uh, what were you, you know, thinking that we would just come here and she'd like, we tell good stories and, uh, that, uh, you know, they, she would just let us go. And I kind of even don't think I, I, I love you anymore. And Hazel like laughs at it and says like, you followed me into the realm of death. Like you love me. There's no, like, you don't do that for somebody that you don't love. And, uh, so like Boris and, uh, Vito are, t- are talking about what they think death is. And, uh, you know, Boris thinks it's like a quick end, kind of like the end of a song, like a, a, a final chord plays. She's like, is that what you really think? And do you mean? And she's like, and they're like, that's your name. He's like, don't start. Uh, but uh, then they ask Vito and he's, you know, the, the Buddhist and he kind of believes in the, the, the reoccurring stuff. Uh, and he's like, do you want to stay? And he's like, no. So Fox goes like, well, one of us has to stay because the deal is one gets to leave. And she goes, I'll do it. Um, and Hazel hates it. And then Boris steps up and he's like, you know what? I'll do it. Somebody's got to stay behind. It's me. And he's like, but Fox love agreed. And she's like, no, you know, yeah, I, I, Larry told me to take care of you. I'm, I'm going to do it. Um, and he basically gives her one last piece of advice. He's like, you know, of all the people I met, like, I never thought you were cut out for this life. And it's no, a pop star is no life, you know, for, for, for a person. It's brutal. You only live once, if that kind of a deal. So make the best of it. YOLO, baby. The first, I think Neil Gaiman invented YOLO. Um, so she's like, all right, I'll take that deal. <laughs> and uh, they give Alvy back and they go back to the, to the waking world, the real, the, the, the world of the living. And Boris is dead on the floor. And we cut to like a while later. They even say like it's it's much later. And Foxglove has given it all up to be like the the regular person. And they kind of hint on it that like she's disappeared. Uh, Foxglove is like uh, with Buddy Holly is the desert duo. And in the end, she's like, yeah, like I gave that all up. And I feel it's a dream. But in the end, like uh, – I feel like I may wake up and it'll all be gone or it'll be a dream. But sooner or later, you know, I, I go back to sleep and they, they end with the time of your life and the little uh, butterfly that she always dreamed about, which I like was all over her shirt too. And uh, I like this miniseries much better than I remembered reading it the first time. Again, another nitpick. At the end, obviously, I don't want to see anyone die, mm-hmm. but the only one that we really have any true attachment to is Hazel and Foxlove, and of course, to a lesser extent, Alvy, because he's the kid and Hazel yep. was pregnant with them all the way back in Game of You. We're introduced to several new characters, and two of them die. Right. And, like, we get to know them, but it doesn't have the same emotional punch. If it was one of the quote unquote main characters. Right. Still good. You know, I gotcha. Um, I, I really like the ending and stuff where they kind of get to live a normal life. And, you know, the, the, what you had mentioned about, you know, that um, when you move from the National Enquirer to the World Weekly News, you know, great. Right. Thing. Yeah. Um, but like I said, it's good. Not as good as the first one. No, that first one is. uh perfection on you know on a plate joe if the first one's a 10 this is like 
a nine. Right. So do we want to do, we do Vertigo's Winter Edge number one? Yes, Winter's Edge number one. Yes. Which is written by Neil Gaiman, art by John Bolton. Beautiful painted art, by the way. Um, I'm going to kind of give the this one the, the, the short shrift because I'll get it out of here. When, this is probably one of my least favorite. And when I say least favorite, it's like, you know, when, when we were talking about uh, how uh, My Name is Earl is a dumbed down version of Arrested Development. It's still really good. Um, but desire stories, I think, are hit or miss. And this is a story about desire. And we get, I think it's a satyr is, is the creature, like, you know, with the, the horns and the goat legs. And he's on this island and he's loving all the inhabitants. And as time goes on, he's running out of inhabitants to get uh, to be. And he's getting older. And finally, like his time is near, he ends up praying to desire and desire shows up. And the one thing I will say is John Bolton's art. I was always a big John Bolton uh, artist fan and the desire in like whatever kind of like dress lingerie that they have is absolutely gorgeous. And desire says, it's like your time. And he's like, please. He's like, well, I could give you one little gift, you know, to take you into the dark. And then they cut, you know, to the island again in 1997 near the solstice. And these two people show up and one of them's kind of like studying the area and it's, and it's a woman. And she ends up over the course of like feeling this place is different. And then over the course of the solstice, she hears the satyr playing the pan flute and she goes to him and is like, you know, intoxicated by it. Um, and in the end she kind of is like, Oh, she was drawn here. And the guy's like, well, you were lucky you didn't freeze to death, but it's interesting that there's this little patch of like spring here. And, uh, he kind of takes her back. He's like, Oh, let's go. And then we kind of see the satyr who's maybe become part of the tree. And that was his last hurrah. I really didn't understand this story other than one last fling. Um, So it's like really low on my list of uh, Sandman, Neil Gaiman stories. It's fine. It serves its purpose. Yep. It's a desire story. John Bolton's art is beautiful. Yep. Fair enough. Um, Dust covers next. Dust covers. (laughs) Um, So this is the, the last Sandman story, Joe, but I don't think it's the last Sandman story, (laughs) but it's more, it's, it's more or less not a story more of like Neil talking about his creating Sandman. And and I do think it becomes a Sandman story at the end. So I'll get that right out of the way. And it's Neil Gaiman and Dave McKean and Dave McKean. They were doing these dust cover, uh, hardcover books, which was all the covers. And he's like, Oh, we, we kicked this story around for years. So I decided to do it and make it, we're going to make it kind of look with your art. And it looks like the cover. So it's, it's nice. And he ends up talking about like how Alan met John Constantine in a bar. That's a famous story that he says the character I created. And he says, I've met, you know, uh, death when, uh, when we created, I forget who the art in Dridgenberg was like, we ended up seeing her in a diner. And then I ended up seeing her, on a plane and then later on i on halloween i ended up seeing uh chorazon is that the yeah chorazon the demon he asked him if he would be back in the book and he was like oh well i don't know 
And he's like, oh, well, the least I could do is he ends up bringing him back for a bout in, you know, Seasons of Mists. That's interesting. And he was talking about how he would, like, write all the time when his daughter was young. She was sick. And he had deadlines. But he would go in and uh, kind of see her uh, and, like, wipe her brow and this and that. And he was very worried about her. But then one night he went in and the night he saw and he saw Sandman sprinkling the sand in her eyes and he kind of looked and he's like i you know i know i saw it but then my brain you know processed what i was seeing and it was just you know a branch in the outside and a a uh the moon and all this stuff so it was just an optical illusion but in the end he's like i want to kind of believe it um and he's like, you know, and I do like the bit where he's like, ask me in the daylight if I believe in Morpheus or the characters I invented. I'm just, ah, you know, no, it's just they're all, uh, uh, you know, what it is. But ask me late at night and the whispers in my head and stuff like that. He's like, I, I don't know what you, your answer you'll get. But I believe in Sandman when I was a little boy. His mother, like, explained what it was. And I swore I would never forget I get. I did this story terribly, but the beginning where his mother tells him about Sandman, and the end, and like the daughter and the Sandman pouring, like because she's sick and he, she feels better after it. And Dave McKean's art. This is one. This was one of my favorite little bits that popped up, and I was glad that I bought the dust covers when it came out. I don't own dust covers, right? So I've never read this before. Yep. Uh, reading this for the first time, this jumps up to a top tier Sandman story and maybe one of my favorite single issue quote unquote stories of all time. Yeah, it was Joe. Now, after like I'm trying to remember because I don't have my I have my uh, notes app that I do has them and I kind of, you know, discuss what it is like how this was the, like the first legit Sandman story um, after. I don't know what I want to say after um, like the, this, this, the proper book was over yeah. and we were getting so little stuff because I actually have the numbers here now. Um, uh, give me a second. I lost it. Uh, Vertigo's win a time of your life was 96. Vertigo's winter's edge was 97. Um, and the last Sandman story was also 97. So we did not have a Sandman story for almost a year. And then there were dribs and drabs. Vertigo Winter's Edge 2 was 98. Winter's Edge 3 was 99. And then the 9-11 was 2002. Um, I'll say it here. As these were coming out, I was salivating for more Sandman stuff. And like an addict, like a drug addict, like with a, you know, w w needing a hit. These were getting me through, and this one scratched that itch for a long time, Joe. I'm with you. One of the best Sandman stories ever, and I wish I actually did it better. Uh, so, and again, just to kind of throw my whatever on there, it, is that so much of what Neil or any writer you know, talks about in their stories or writes is probably from some sort of personal experience, whether it be their own or someone else's, right? Right. And when you put it into a story, you change some names, you move some stuff around, unless you're doing some sort of historical fiction thing. Uh, you know, we've talked before many times about uh, Ed Brubaker doing a lot of stuff like that, where he'll, he'll hear a story or an idea or a thought or something, and he's like, I'm going to flesh that out. It's based in some sort of reality, whether it be his own or someone else's. Mm -hmm. So this Sandman story is 
stories that Neil could have and would have and should have put into the actual mainline Sandman book right. and whether or not they just didn't fit or he couldn't work them out. But he just tells them here. Mm-hmm. As him as the first person, no names changed, not trying to gussy it up to tell a narrative. Here's all these instances. Happen to me. Happen to a- Alan Moore. Here's a very specific example giving you specific dates and times and my children and I'm on a plane and this person and all these things. But the way that Neil crafts it, it feels like it's part of the overall fiction of the previous 75 issues of Sandman that we read. Right. Um, can I ask you a question? Or I, I don't know if you go have ahead. Where to go. So I don't want to interrupt. Do you, do you feel that this is a Sandman story or it's a Neil Gaiman actual life story or it's a bit of both. And I don't mean like it's true. It's just like, does this fit in? Is this just a fanciful tale that he's like, Oh, I saw a, an optical illusion. All this happened. So it, it's not in the, in the Sandman world, if that makes any sense, or does this fit squarely, squarely in the Sandman world? I don't I know if you a, get what I'm trying to ask. I, I do. I say it's a bit of both. And that's, I think that's the brilliance of this story. Yep. It makes me want to believe this is in the Sandman world. I don't know how to explain, but yeah, and yep. it's it's really good. Um, so on to Vertigo's Winter Edge number three. Um, number and this two. Is a, number two. I'm sorry, number two. Um, and this is a death story. I don't know if you know it's written by Neil Gaiman. Um, art by Jeff Jones. Beautiful art by Jeff Jones. Minimalistic, just black and white. Um, so beautiful. It, it reminds me of a bit, a mix between Dringenberg and Bacalo. So it hits all my sweet spots, Joe, all my sweet spots. Um, and, uh, and death is talking about like how something used to bother her. And she says like early on, um, uh, it kind of, when I I was young, you know, it was still kind of great. Uh, but I, I used to a really long time ago. I thought I had the hot, hardest job out of all the family, and she's like, kind of like in the beginning, it was good. People were enthusiastic. Life was new, um, and they were, you know, because we've established that she's there when you're born and when you die. She's like, at the beginning, everybody loved the whole life thing, um, but at the end, things got a little different. And throughout this, she's going to various wildlife, and you know, it's showing them, you know, her be doing her depth duties. Um, and she goes, but you know, on the, on the dying end. And I like some of the quotes. She's like, it was like, uh, that me showing up as if they're dying was some kind of failure. Um, and you know, I, I, it made me sad after a while and I wanted to give up. She's like, and one day I did, you know, I kind of just stopped doing it. or stopped taking everything. And basically I, it was chaos can you imagine nothing dying which is a nice nod to the first sandman story when or or eight when they were like we were trying to catch death and he's like you you're lucky you didn't get it and then when he meets her he's like they were after you and she's like yep and it's good they kind of didn't get me so it got so bad that uh you know this was time before ours like they sent somebody and basically showed her um what it was, how bad things, you know, got. And so she's like, all right, I, I'm going to kind of go back. Um, but they were always, you know, upset when they died. 
Um, and one day I find I took a, a young girl and she's like, well, how would you like it? And that kind of hurt me and made me think. And so this is the origin of why she's a human takes a mortal life. She becomes mortal for one day every century, the time of uh, the high cost of living. And she's like on that first day when it was over, I showed up for me and I, you know, basically told her myself some bad stuff. And, uh, I got the message. Um, so basically when someone's died, they're, they're, you know, they're, that's at their worst. They're shaken up and they may not be ready for my gift. Like, you know, and they don't realize the sunless, you know, lands are kind of a gift sometimes and it's hard, but at the end, everybody, you know, stands before me naked. And at the end, everyone, each of us, you know, is alone and you need, they need a friend. And I finally figured that out, you know, and I understood it and it's been pretty good. And I've got to meet all these wonderful people and, you know, lots of people don't have jobs that they love doing, do they? Anyway, I'm really lucky. And then at the end she says, so I'll be seeing you. And I'm like, oh, but this is the origin of the death that we all love, you know, the one that's comforting, the one that we want to, to be our girlfriend, which may pop up in a little bit. Um, and just all of it. And if I loved the dust cover story, because I'm a bigger death guy than Sandman by a smidge. When I read this, I was like, man, Neil, you keep making me remember how much I love death as a character. Love this story. Only I, I'm with you. I don't feel as strongly about death, the character, and everything else as you do. I get it. Um, the lettering. So eh, good. Lettering made it a little difficult to read. No, it's all good. Other than that, really good story. Uh, getting Death's Origin, I thought, was a really cool thing to get here. Right. And the minimalistic of the art, you know, obviously more white than black. Um, with a character death, and it most most of the endless is so much black. Almost some people would say it's too much. Um, could it be any more black? But the the contrast of the two colors, of course, works so well with the art for this. So on to Winter's Edge number three, uh, another desire story called "How They Met Themselves" by Neil Gaiman and art by Michael Zuli. Which uh, to get into the art, I love Michael Zuli's art in the wake. Um, this is you know my all Michael Zuli art is beautiful, but I feel that this was you know his stuff is is really good but i feel like this wasn't as crafted like as well as the wake story like he didn't put as much into this he was like oh we're doing an eight page story i'll hammer this out this felt a bit rougher yes yes yeah not as smooth as a lot of his stuff can be not to say that there was like jagged pointed edges to it but it was a lot less clean lines Yes. And I will say, though, I don't feel it had the detail. That's probably where my mind goes. But okay. uh, so we get, you know, I don't know what year it is, but it, it's, you know, maybe well, they have a train. So the 1800s. And I love anytime you get a bottle of Lodeman, you know what I mean? Um, and this woman's kind of coughing and she's going to take the Lodeman. She's like no more than half a teaspoon. But it looks like she may be taking too much there. Um, and she kind of drinks, drinks it heavy. But she's got a cough and she thinks about her her man and that 
he might be out running around because she's not home yet. And then she remembers, you know, she starts drifting off uh, from the, the opium, I believe. And she says it's the year 1862, two months ago. So that's where we're at. And they're on a train. And she's with her, you know, lover and who's kind of a, a poet. And then there's one guy who I actually love because he looks like he's one of Delirium's people. I would definitely have to say, wouldn't you agree, Joe? He's got that he's got that thousand yard stare and the and the wacky hair. The only thing that was missing was different colored eyes. If he had different colored eyes, I think that would have been a little bit too on the nose. But yes, he definitely did have the crazy person eyes. Right. So like the 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 man and the woman are talking. She's like, uh, she's she's coughing. He's like, it's it's cold out here. And I'm going to get pneumonia and I'm going to die. And he's like, ah, you'll be fine. And she's like, what if I die? You, you wouldn't even know. She's like, no, if you died, I'd no longer be able to paint. I'd no longer be able to write. Um, you're my muse. And I would throw my paintings and, and poems in the coffin. And I'd bury them and I could never find another. And she was like, uh, oh, well, if that's the truth. I'm really amused. And I hope you have to dig me up and get your poems back. Um, and, you know, that kind of stuff. So and the guy's like, he's all getting a bit morbid. And then somebody sits down in the carriage and it's obviously desire and all of the Zuli art, the, the desire stuff, like he puts the most into because that shot of them, him sitting down, desire them sitting down with the golden eyes is just stare right into you, Joe. So good. And he ends up talking to them um and the uh the wacky guy ends up just becoming immediately you know enamored with with desire as of course and starts saying the most inappropriate things and they're kind of like uh you know you might have to like dial that back and and uh desire kind of goes off and says you know you're going into that area of woods like they say that's kind of where you meet your your true love kind of a deal. Um, and like I said, that wacky guy starts talking and he says, your name begins with the D. So it must be Dolores. So that's the name he equates with, the, with them. And then they're like, that was a guy. No, that was a girl because they all see de- uh, des- desire different. Um, and uh, the guy starts, you know, s- telling his poem of it. Uh, and in the end, basically, He's like, I just really want you to hurt me, which is love, really want to hurt me. So the guy and the girl go off into the woods and they end up seeing uh, what they think is their true love. And she ends up seeing him, uh, the couple. And in the end, she realizes that uh, the true love of the poet is himself. And she ends up, you know, in real life now in the, in the current time dying. Um, and he ends up being so upset that he throws, you know, all of this stuff into the thing. Um, and uh, his poems, like he said, in the end, she, he comes back and digs it all up. Um, and he had been her, her own. He saw that he was her own true love. And in the end, there was nothing. This is another one like desire stories are interesting, but not great. Uh, Zuli's art kind of carries it, but, uh, yeah, not, I, I don't know. I'm just not digging the, the desire stories. Yeah, it was fine. That's all I got. The, the yep. art is what carries it. Um, you know, um, desire is maybe my least favorite member of the endless. 
Yeah, because she was usually, you know, hard on on Morpheus, like she wanted yeah. him dead. So you're not sub, sub, and it's funny the the character we love the most is Death, and I know not everybody, but you get what I'm saying. But Desire is like in the story, probably like you said of the Endless, the least liked, and that's over despair. You know, <laughs> it's very weird, very weird. Um, so now we have the. The 9-11 story, I, have to, I lost my page, um, by Neil Gaiman and Chris Piccolo. And now this is at the point where we've reached, we've discussed last time with the, uh, the time of your life. Did we hit where he's not my death artist anymore? This, this is the issue, Joe. So it's called The Wheel and obviously a, a, about 9-11. And it's about this kid who he can, you know, uh, can see off in the distance, the tower's burning and he's at this amusement park that's shut down and he ends up climbing the Ferris wheel. Um, and, uh, he's like, I, you know, I, uh, it feels like a dream, but I, I cut my finger. So I know I'm alive and he feels the car rock that he's in. And this person, like, he's like, somebody jumped in it, which is weird. And the guy's yelling at him. He's like, what are you doing here? And at this point, he looks vaguely familiar, but we're not kind of sure who he is. Um, uh, and he's like, I'm sorry I scared you. And he's like, he ends up giving him a big, big hug. Um, and he's like, basically, you want to talk about it? And he tells this story. He's like, my mom was a doctor. Um during in the World Trade Center when it happened, uh, she ran out to help people and the building fell on her. And he's like, "Oh, okay. Uh, so why did you climb uh, the big wheel?" And he's like, "Because I'm going to, you know, take my life." Um, he's like, "So you can see your mother again?" He's like, "No, I want an explanation." He's like, "Seriously, I want God to explain to me." He's like, "God doesn't do explanations." He's like, "Well, then I want an apology." And he's like, "God doesn't do apologies either." Uh, so, you know, when you hit the ground, you're going to be, there's going to be nothing. He's like, good, then I won't care anymore. Um, you know, it'll, it'll be, you know, I, I, I won't hurt. And he's like basically discussing stuff. And he's like, you know, the people destroyed it, cast down the towers. It's bad people. Don't blame God. And he's like, uh, hello, brother. Death is in the, in the car. Cause she's like, now I feel a third person here. It's, it's very weird. She's like this young man. Now it's definitely destruction. It's like, he wants an explanation from God or death. And she's like, people all die. And, you know, uh, but she ended up kind of doing the right thing. It's like, so what's the point? It's like, the point is to help feed the hungry, help comfort those in pain, do what you can to make the world a better place. She's like, that's just, you know, empty, you know, words. And he's like, no, but you, you can jump off the wheel if you want. But whatever happens that you'll get no more of an answer than the one we just gave you is like, you help people. And then like the, the, the wheels like lights up and starts turning. Um, and the, the structure is talking. He's like, yeah, you know, the wheel turns because the wheel is both the Ferris wheel and the wheel of life kind of a deal. Uh, people are getting further and further away from the towers. It's, it's becoming, you know, a memory, a movie of the week. Um, and he's like, you know, it's, it's tough. And she's like, it'll always be hard, but you have to ride the wheel, Matt. And then she squeezed my hand and he's like, when I grow up, I thought I'll have a girlfriend just like you. Cause everybody loves death. And he's like, and now they're kind of gone. 
and I'm at the top of the wheel and I could see everything. And, you know, it reminds me of the music and the lights were burning. And it kind of reminds me of his mom because she says whenever she was on the Ferris wheel, it kind of made her feel young again. And it kind of gives the kid hope. And it's just a touching little story. And I remember really liking the tune and in a way, not like, but the nine 11 two tribute books that they did. And I think all the money went to charity. I always really enjoyed those, those nine 11 stories. I thought they were really good. It's tough for me to be critical of a charity book. Right. I thought the message was good. The story itself was good. Ham fisted. I like Chris Bacallo's art. Right. But I hate the designs for destruction and death in this. uh, Yeah, like destruction. I don't know what he looks like. He looks like a Victorian. You know what I mean? He looks like barbarian. He looks like Sabretooth. Yeah, he looks like a he looks like a Victorian uh, barbarian. I don't know how to explain it. You know what I mean? Like it's weird. And death in the sweat. I'm like, which I I kind of like. But she looks weird, and then she doesn't have the white skin, which always throws me off. Always. I feel like there was a coloring mistake on that. I don't like the designs in this. Sorry. That's all. Interesting. I will never badmouth a a Sandman story. So even the desire ones, I won't badmouth. All right. What do we have next, Joe? All right. So next we have the full-length graphic novel that was called Endless Nights. Now, we're not going to read the whole thing. Um, there's an individual story about each of the members of the endless in this, and we're going to break it up over the next three weeks, two, two, and three. Mm-hmm. We're reading the first two, which is death starting out strong yeah. and then desire, eh, maybe less strong <laughs> week after that is going to be dream and despair. And then we're going to hit delirium, destruction and destiny three weeks from now. Um, so again, this week, if you have Endless Nights, it's the only collected in one thing. It wasn't sent out. I think they did a single issue separately, like years later of just the death story. Um, if I remember correctly, mm-hmm. they did a preview of just the death story. Okay. So I- it's like a free giveaway yeah. to, to like get people salivating for the hardcover. Spoiler work. It worked for me, Joe. <laughs> So the only place this exists is here. It's not collected anywhere else because it's its own collection. It's a relatively new collection of Sandman stories. And, you know, as mentioned, these last couple short stories that Todd, that we talked about here came out from 1997 to 2001, whereas this, I think, was published in 2003. And then this was it for a long time. Yes. The, uh, Basically, at this point, Endless Night was 2003, and then we would not get Dream Hunters until 2008 or 9. Right. So, uh, But again, we got a variety of artists, some old, some new, that we've seen before uh, doing Sandman stuff. Some folks touching Sandman for the first time. Um, you know, and we'll get into it. This is probably something that I've read maybe once or twice. So it'll be interesting to go back and revisit all of this. Right. Uh, so while you're over at longboxheroes.com, of course, be sure to check out, uh, all the other stuff that we have there. We have a little store where you can get shirts and pins and stickers. Reach out to me. We'll work something out. 
uh, head over to our T Public store. T Public doesn't give me a heads up as to when sales happen, and it seems as though the sales are happening uh, usually Thursdays to Sundays. So I don't know. Check out T Public Thursdays to Sundays. You might find something. Right. Um, make sure that you can make any and all of your eBay purchases. Maybe you have your eye on a two thousand um, dollar helm collection of all the Sandman stories with a new story that you can only get there. Um, if you're going to get that, make sure that you get it through our eBay affiliate link. Uh, this page contains affiliate links for eBay. We may receive a small commission on purchases you make. You could use the affiliate link at any time to buy anything on eBay and support us at the same time. Yay. Uh, Pigskin Pick'em standings are the same as last week. No change. I'm still in third. Todd's still in 11th. No change. No change there. And last but not least, we have the most recent episode of Loki to discuss. Right. I don't know how much you got on this one. I ain't got much. I only have one thing that really stood out to me, and then what the possible ramifications of the end are. Okay. Uh, so the 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 the, the, the through line of this story is um, the loom is reaching critical mass. Um, they need to get. Kang, he who remains there, so his signature can take care of things. But there's a bunch of roadblocks that happen during the course of all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, Sylvie, uh, or Sylvie, um, not because Sylvie's with the uh, goodies. Uh, Renslayer, along with Miss Minutes, offers the other rogue time agents that if they help them out, they will give them a spot on the timeline where they will be untouched. And the only one that joins up with them is Brad. The rest of them essentially sacrifice themselves. Um, And that's the scene that really stuck out for me. Okay. Before that, the bit where uh, Miss Minutes tells uh, Renslayer that she made them like all forget, you know what I mean? Like you were the, you were the general who made it all work with Kang and, or the, the he who remains. And I do like that they're in the end of time and he's dead. So they're with the, he is, he who is remains now. You know what I mean? But, uh, so she's like that. And then they go and they try to get them all on board. The only one who comes on board is Brad. So she uses that torture device that, you know, check offs, you know, shrinking cube. Um, and the bit where they use it on them and Brad's looking away and Renslayer's like, uh, but Miss Minutes is so happy to see them squish. That made me feel genuinely uneasy. This funny cartoon who's done a lot of like goofy bits and then just the look of like sheer ecstasy while people are being smushed. And then the what like they can actually hear the blood kind of like draining. I think more done without the visual than anything you could have done. With the visual. My imagination works better. I really they, like that. Exactly. Um, <laughs> then Miss Minutes hacks into the system to prevent our heroes from stopping the immolation of the loom. They decide to do a reboot of the system in the hopes to lock Miss Minutes out. There's bickering between uh, Owen Wilson and Loki of who's going to go out there to... And again, the, it's it's a bunch of techno mumbo, j- mumbo jumbo, but they have to expand the loom 
so that more of the threads can fit. Right. And uh, Victor Timely has the device that can make it happen. But he's yes. too enamored with uh, hot cocoa. So, Well, he, he finally makes the decision. Does Victor Timely? Well, I'll be the one. You guys are arguing about it. This is my thing. I created this. So I'm going to go out there and do it. He puts the suit on. They open up the bay doors. He takes a step out. And then he's completely unraveled. Yep. And then the loom explodes and the episode's over. I will say the loom exploding was my other favorite scene. And it was the bit where like Owen Wilson and Loki are like standing there and the explosion's coming closer. And it's just the look off into the distance, like knowing the end is near. And I'm like, that was such a, another good visual shot. And then it just all goes to black roll credits. And we still have... They've killed everybody, destroyed the universe, and there's still two episodes left, Joe. Is this going to be 45 minutes of, like, dead air? That'd be a fun rib. I would watch two episodes of 45 minutes of dead air. Yeah. But uh, but I, I, I definitely think the pacing on this was a little strange. Um, you know, obviously we got 2-2-2 two, two, and two, the way that this would go. After this past week's episode came out, there was like all the like, oh, here's the mid-season trailer for what we saw to catch you up and everything like that. And I'm like, okay, well, I guess they got something planned. But I like that I'm being kept guessing. I, I definitely think there's something going on because we have the bit where uh, Victor Timely meets OB and they kind of and everyone gets to acknowledge of like, well, OB was inspired by what Victor Timely did, but Victor Timely was inspired what OB did. And right. He, and yeah, and they actually even say it's like, oh, it's the snake eating its own tail. Again, a little on the nose. Uh, we get the bit where both of them want each other to sign their version of the TVA manual. I'm I with you that there's more up with signed manuals coming. So. Something going on with that to differentiate one from the other, that this one was signed by this one and that one was signed by that one. And there's a difference. There's The, the fact that they did it in two episodes, I feel as though this is going to be a big plot point by the time that we get to at the end of this week's episode. Right. Do you think another big plot point is like they keep laying out stuff like jet skis and key lime pie? Like, the key lime pie one was very weird, right? Like, because they just have a whole room dedicated yes. to eating key lime pie. And it's the greenest key lime, key lime pie, pie I've ever seen in my entire life. So, mm -hmm. I don't know. Marvel with one of those companies that do thematic coffee based on the shows. Right. They have a key lime pie low-key coffee. Right which as a coffee person sounds disgusting, is the key lime pie as basic as Loki's green and that's green? Or maybe your theory from last week that the kid that works at the McDonald's with Sylvie is Owen Wilson. He's working at the McDonald's so that he could live his dream which is going to Hawaii. Yeah. With the jet, on a jet ski. I'm high. I, I'm honestly starting to think that all these weird things like the jet ski in season one and the key lime pie, like when we find out whatever it is about Mobius, Morbius's life, 
like these are all the the hot the the, the hot points. You know what I mean? Like right. it's all gonna weave in, and like if we don't get it this year, we'll get a Loki season three, and in season three it'll be. I don't know. It's not a food. Not a, it'll be something, another weird thing. And that'll be like when we get his origin episode, it's like, oh, okay, blah, blah, blah. So I don't know. I'm interested in all that. Yep. But, uh, but it's a fun show. I still enjoy it. I know a lot of people aren't loving the Marvel stuff. Um, but, you know, in between movies, I enjoy it. I enjoy the fleshing out of some of these characters, you know. I, I was discussing this with my cousin the other day. I said that's what I love. I love the most, especially after I've seen the same Marvel movie twenty times. You know, because they have a formula. The TV shows are at least they're trying new and different stuff. Yeah. So that always like is at, at least the the freshness of it is something that keeps me keeps me going on it. So like you know variation, if you will. Yes, absolutely. Uh, so that's all I got. We're done. Yep, that's everything. So that was uh, episode 682 of Longbox Heroes. For Todd, this is Joe saying thanks, everyone, for listening. And we'll see you all here next week. Remember, be a faucet, not a drain. Listening to the soon to be named network, the Lamborghini of Podcast Networks. The Rob is a long box hero. The Rob is a long box hero. He gives us five five stars.